This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful and brief. On this episode, we have David Bell, CEO of GummyCube. David, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So before we will be diving into essentials of App Store optimization, David, please tell our listeners about yourself a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I have been in mobile for more than 20 years. I actually founded one of the first mobile game publishing companies in North America back in the days when you had to develop on Brew and Java devices and get carriers to distribute apps on their networks. So, you know, we've been in mobile for, I've been in mobile for a very long time. And, you know, I think the industry has changed a lot since then. And, you know, after starting my first company, which we sold to Oberon Media, I I moved on and I was one of the co-founders of a company called Playphone that did direct Uh consumer entertainment. You know, that ended up selling to Gung Ho, which is a SoftBank company. And, you know, we've been doing GummyCube for uh, nearly 10 years. You know, GummyCube is is one of the first really ASO companies in the world. When we started doing this, there were no tools that you could even use from a third party to do ASO. And, you know, I think one of the things that's that's interesting is that the industry has changed a lot over the last, you know, you know, 10 or 20 years. But what really has stuck with me is that mobile is a fundamentally different platform than the web. It's more like e-commerce. User behavior is also very different. And so, you know, it's important whether you're looking at kind of what products to build or kind of how to market your app or even for, for ASO, which we're talking about today, to approach this in, in kind of a native way and not just kind of assume what you might have learned or what dogma you hear from web SEO might apply to the ASO process. All right. It's pretty long ride as I see it. So what GummyCube does? Is there any story behind the company name and why GummyCube? <laughs> I've been wondering about this question for a long time. That's a good question. We have an official answer and an unofficial one. So, right, uh, so I'll give you both. So GummyCube is an app store optimization company, and we focus kind of with a 360-degree approach on building technology and intelligence for app store optimization and also providing agency services to our clients. So unlike a lot of agencies that have no technology or a lot of technologies that won't give you help, we're kind of a hybrid of the two. And, and there are a lot of benefits to that because at the end of the day, whether you're doing paid marketing or organic marketing or working on conversion optimization, you're manipulating algorithms. The algorithms in the stores determine everything. You know, that is a technology problem, not just a service problem. And it's important to kind of have both of those components to do a really good job. And, you know, like I said, we were founded 10 years ago. And, you know, the interesting story behind that is that, you know, 10 years ago, you know, there really wasn't a lot of data about what goes on in the App Store and Play Store. And, you know, even today, a lot of the tools, companies, a lot of companies struggle to, to get data directly from the stores. And, you know, what we wanted to do was unique. We said, look, let's not extract data from other apps. Let's not Mm -hmm. extract data from end users. Let's focus on applying machine learning against the App Store and Play Store and really figure out how these algorithms work. And uh, if you're an engineer, you know that you store data in data cubes, you know, when you're building databases. And, you know, we thought, well, we're we're, we're aggregating a lot of data and the data is sticky data. And then kind of GummyCube, you know, Mm -hmm. became the name. 
And that's the official story. The unofficial story is that as every good startup is founded, my co-founder Ann and I were at a bar uh, and, you know, we were uh, we were having a couple of drinks and we were talking about what we were going to do next after we uh-huh. left Playphone. And that bar happened to have bags of gummy bears. And, you know, we were kind of playing around with the gummy bears, kind of squeezing them. And Anne made a joke about it just being a gummy cube. And I looked up and I'm like, hey, that reminds me of Sticky Data. And then I went on GoDaddy, registered the website literally on my mobile phone. That's how the company got started. Oh, that's awesome. I, I would never guess that the, the story. That's that's, that's actually, actually really cool. So thank, thank Haribo Gummy Bears for Gummy Cube. <laughs> I, I see. Now that analogy will stick with me. Okay. So speaking of algorithms and abstract optimization, what are the three top things that developers or brands need to focus on in terms of ACO? Sure. So, you know, I think that ASO for a very long time has been defined as different things depending on who you talk to. Some people define it as organic search. Some people define it as conversion optimization. Some people define it as optimizing paid search or optimizing paid marketing channels. And the reality is that ASO has a few legs to the stool today, and all those kind of components work together to get you better results. Search, both paid and organic, is very important. There are relationships between paid and organic search that help them kind of drive more successful campaigns. And so search is very important. A lot of people, you know, if you talk to them, say, well, actually we've had more success with conversion optimization, search didn't do as much for us. And what we always tell people as well, don't question the value of search, question whether you're executing the right way or have the right data, because a lot of tools that are out there simply aggregate data from paid search or they aggregate data from web search. And you could spend 40 hours a week optimizing with that data and it won't produce great results for you. So search is important, but it really only works if you're optimizing the correct way and you have the right data behind the decisions that you make. Second is conversion optimization. That's very important. We look at conversion optimization both from a store page standpoint and from a search listing standpoint. That's critical because not only does that make all of your traffic more efficient, it also can enhance your rankings as you improve your conversion rate. And so that's very important. And then next, you know, paid marketing. And the reason I mentioned paid marketing mm-hmm. is because depending on the channels that you're operating for paid user acquisition, they can interact with Apple and Google's algorithms in different ways. Certain channels are more valuable than others for generating kind of organic coefficient or K-factor. And so understanding how to use the channels that are most efficient, that have the most positive impact on the algorithms is the third thing that's very important. Right, so speaking of connection between paid search and native search, in your opinion, what's, um, if you're comparing uh, Google and uh, App Store search, is, there, is it easier to correlate the search ads on iTunes and UAC campaigns with uh, Google Play? Which store is either in terms of establishing the connection and influence paid search on the organic search? Yeah, so we have a lot of data on this. And, and we actually, with our technology, kind of measure that, right, mm-hmm. as paid search campaigns change. And, and so th- the first thing that's very important to understand is that Paid search is not the driver of organic. Organic and what you do with your ASO is what drives paid. It unlocks more inventory. It drives costs down as your conversion goes up. It establishes relevancy. And as you get the flywheel spinning, 
Of course, right. those clicks that you get from search ads or UAC can enhance your click-through rate and improve your organic rankings. You know, what we have seen is that generally speaking for apps at scale, an Apple search ads or UAC campaign, you know, can boost organics by 20 or 30 percent, you know, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. We don't believe that paid search has turned organic into a pay-to-play scenario. You know, I think there are some agencies out there, some companies out there who say, well, if you want to do well on organic, just turn on a search ads campaign. You know, that's kind of like promoting a spaghetti against the wall approach or building a house without a foundation. You don't want to do that. You know, ASO is not a media spend problem. You've got to build the foundation first. And what we found is that when you do that, and you have kind of a good ASO foundation and you're iterating and you're running a search ads campaign, you can significantly expand the keywords you rank for, you can enhance your rankings and you know, worst case scenario, potentially boost your organics by 20 or 30%. But you can't do that unless you're doing ASO first and unless you're doing ASO kind of in an iterative way right alongside those campaigns. All right, speaking of the wall and spaghetti, it's a great segue to my next question. Can you think of some really bad ACO mistakes people do? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think that the number one mistake that people make, well, one of the top mistakes people make is assuming that this is like web search, assuming that ASO is executed similar to SEO. You know, App Store optimization and, and generally the way the App Store and Google Play algorithms work it has more to do and is more similar to Amazon e-commerce algorithms than web search algorithms. You know, most apps rank for thousands of keywords in a store. If you're successful optimizing an app, you might get 60% of your traffic from the long tail and kind of feature-based keywords that people search for. And, you know, I feel like some people kind of put the cart before the horse. You know, they may execute an optimization strategy that focuses only on a few keywords or, you know, maybe they're only tracking keywords that they're targeting in their metadata and not looking at how Apple or Google merchandise them throughout the store. And that really has an effect of, you know, not just providing an incomplete set of data to the user, but also having the user come up with the wrong conclusions about why something is working or not working. You know, some people will come to me and say, well, we get 100% of our search traffic from our brand and two or three other core keywords. So let's just focus on conversion optimization. And, and you know, my response to that is always, well, if you haven't been optimizing correctly and causing Apple and Google to index you on all of these other keywords, of course, you're not going to get traffic from them right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, what I would say is that this is a game of merchandising. Every keyword is an aisle. Every keyword has related terms. Every keyword has related audiences. And understanding how those things connect is extremely important. Treating this kind of as a tactical keyword planning exercise is a mistake. That's number one. I think the number two kind of mistake that people make is they think of conversion optimization as something that affects only their app store listing. Conversion optimization happens at a keyword level too. That's why Apple allows you to test creative sets within search ads. And sometimes you can have winners on your store listing that are losers when they're put up against competitors that are listed above and below you in a search listing. And you know, store listing and search listing are not always the same in terms of how they perform. So always test and measure how new creative causes your app to convert and perform for keywords you care about 
and and measure that even after you deploy it because you, you don't want to get a win on your page but then lose half of your traffic from core keywords. That's a big problem a lot of people have. You know, the, the third thing, and this ties somewhat into the conversion story, you know, it, is simply that Apple and Google are not the same. You know, 80% of downloads on the Apple App Store that are organic happen in the search result or browse experience. Those users don't even go to your App Store listing. And so that kind of competitive experience where your competitors are next to you or above and below you in the search result is even more critical on Apple, perhaps, than it is on Google. And so a successful A-B test on Google doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in the Apple App Store. All right, I see. This is a great set of hints for folks to use on their uh, SEO strategy. Now, both Google Play and Apple Search Store have been on the market for a while. They've grown to the millions of apps. We have thousands of app developers who are creating apps and releasing those stores daily. So obviously both stores are evolving over time. So my question is, how are the app stores changing over time? So when I look at how the app stores are changing and we look at kind of the algorithmic changes that are happening in the app store, they're becoming more dynamic, I think, from an e-commerce perspective. I think that, you know, the story five years ago, 10 years ago was about kind of volume and velocity to get your chart rankings and that it became, you know, search all of a sudden became something interesting and, and then people jumped on the conversion bandwagon. But what we really try to study at GummyCube, in addition to all of that, is how does the merchandising process work in a store? I mean, obviously, Apple and Google will feature some apps and some of that is programmed by editors. But, you know, how do all the lists work? How does Apple determine relevancy between keywords? You know, those things are becoming more and more important and more and more dynamic. There are things that keyword planners can't solve. And, and those are the things that we're looking at all the time. Because ultimately, you know, if you're an app that's at scale, increasingly ranking for one or two new keywords doesn't move the needle. You have to figure out how to rank for hundreds of new keywords at a time. And, and that's not something that you can do picking and choosing, you know, one, one keyword over another. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing is like just user behavior, right? You know, we used to be in an environment where users would download everything They had hundreds and hundreds of apps in their phone, and, and many people still do. But to a large extent, people are much less patient now. They're not researchers. You know, we did some studies on the Apple App Store and mm -hmm. found that the average user gives an app five to six seconds as they're scrolling through the search result before they decide to download it or not. So it's it's not a research-based process. A lot of people will ask us, well, you know, is an App Store video important? And, you know, I always tell them, well, the first five or six seconds of it is right? Yeah. You know, then it clicks, right? That, that, so you've got to cater to that user behavior and put yourself in the shoes of, of how users behave today. Well, what is the influence of editorial on an iTunes app store after Apple introduced it a few years ago? How, well, how has the search was changed, influenced by that? Well, editorial influenced ASO in one critical way, and that is that Apple and Google, to some extent, do crawl the text in editorials. And so, you know, if you happen to be featured in best apps of 2019, you're going to start ranking for keywords related to best apps in 2019. So, you know, those features certainly can help you rank for some high volume keywords that are generic, but are related to your category and they uh -huh. can be important. But, you know, it's also important to understand that just like any other feature on the app store, there's a rate of decay and Apple 
uh, and Google will always value newer information over older information that they gather and crawl in the store. That's one of the reasons that iteration is important for for ASO. You know, we always we occasionally have people come to us and say, "Well, let's do a one-time optimization or an audit." And we're like, "Well, actually, that's not how ASO works. If you're not causing Apple and Google to crawl you every month or two, you're you're just going to slowly decline because any app that has provided more recent data will be prioritized." And so. It's great to be featured. It's great to get editorialized. It does give you more keywords. But you know, if you want to keep those rankings and keep them high, you have to work on it from a conversion optimization standpoint. You know, if you're ranked number ten after you know a feature for two thousand best apps of 2019, start A/B testing and figure out how to boost that keyword to number five. Right? A lot of people, a lot of people look at it as something that you know is a one-time thing they can't influence, but what we realize is that it's an opportunity for indexation and also an opportunity for A-B testing against those broader keywords you rank on. All right. Now I have a few rapid fire questions for you, Dave. So, mm. okay. iOS or Android? Uh, personally, I'm iOS. So all the time you never look back? So I have Android devices at work. I make it a point to use all platforms. Like I'm the kind of person who has a Mac, a PC, an iOS device, an Android device, a Kindle, an Alexa. So I want exposure to everything everyone else is doing. But I'm more of a Mac ecosystem kind of guy. I see. I'm in the same camp with you. All right. So what was your first mobile phone? My first mobile phone was a Motorola StarTac 7868. Whoa. Nice choice. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. What is your favorite app and why? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. So I would have to break it down into categories. You know, I think that I personally use the LinkedIn app every day. I live in the LinkedIn app. I love it. It helps me in my business and even like connect personally so much. I, I love that app very much. I guess second to that, I, I very much enjoy Reddit. And then, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time for games, but I am a big sci-fi fan. And so I do find myself playing uh, Galaxy on Fire a, a lot on my mobile devices when I have a few free minutes. All right, let's see. Now it's a little bit odd question. What is the most overrated app in your opinion, if you can think of any? That's a very good question. So I would say the number one overrated app that has ever existed would be Flappy Bird. I have to name that. Anyone who's been in the industry for five or six years would probably pick the same one. And that's because most of its rate, it literally, not only is it overrated, but literally most of its ratings and reviews on the store were fake until Apple cleaned them up and then the app was removed from the store. So that, that I think is the number one most overrated app. All right. So what new app technologists are you excited about? most about? I love AR. I think that AR is going to consume the world even more than VR. I'm excited for, you know, a correct implementation of what Google tried to do with Google Glass. I'm excited for what Apple might do with, with their AR experiences. And so I truly believe that that is, is going to consume the world. So you see there's more, more value, more uh, actually, you know, real-time uses for AR than VR, right? Yeah, I think it's like the difference between casual games and consoles. I think VR will always be interesting, but I think fundamentally VR is isolating. You can't see what's in the outside world. And I think there are a lot of behavioral studies that show humans are social people. And when you put a box around their head for a couple hours, even if you're enjoying yourself, you get psychologically uncomfortable. I think that AR, you know, it opens you up to social experiences, but it overlays, you know, 
either useful or fun experiences on top of that. And I think that that gives it more potential. I don't think it's a technology thing. I truly believe that humans are social animals and we don't like to be locked in a room alone. I see. Good point. So before I let you go, how people can get in touch with you and get more information about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you could always shoot an email to our company at, at info at gummycube.com. Personally, I'm just Dave at GummyCube.com. You can always email me directly. We're on LinkedIn at GummyCube. We're on Twitter at GummyCube. We're on Facebook at GummyCube. You can find us on Google. We're everywhere. So feel free to, to reach out. Great. Thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast, David. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And that was David Bale, CEO of GummyCube. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Once you subscribe, you will be able to get new episodes in your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comments on iTunes. It's highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Till the next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.